You're listening to Hungry Gen Audio Podcast. Let me say, before I get started, just a couple of things about what's happening here. I know I only had last night and this morning. You know, when it comes to giving accolades, to be perfectly honest, I, as my daughter will tell you, I'm, I'm not a man of many words. Not a lot of people I really buy into in the religious community and what's happening, particularly in North America. Because in North America, the church, unfortunately, is very much market-driven. And the real guts of the gospel have been removed. And those who have taken our international school of exorcism, which I would encourage all of you, do whatever you need to spend the money, the time to enroll in it and go through it, learn, is that in the first five centuries of the church, particularly the first three centuries, it was totally different from what we see in our world today. And I document this. And in the school, I quote all the church fathers, the great leaders of the first five centuries, directly from their writings, as to what they said about the world as it was then and Christianity's approach to that world. And if you were to take that school and go through those courses, here's what you would learn as a foundational basis. One of the things that makes me effective in what I do is how much I know to be grounded in doing what I do. Now, of course, the calling of God, the anointing of the God, the, the gifts of spiritual discernment are absolutely essential to doing what I do. But it's also knowing what I know. And one of the things that I know and I want to communicate to everybody, and we do this in our school, is that what you people are experiencing here in this conference is historic Christianity. This is the real deal. This is the way it was in the beginning. And we lost it. And we really lost it in the early 300s when something called the Edict of Milan occurred. And for you non-historians, that is when Constantine declared that no longer would Rome be a pagan empire, no longer would Christians be thrown to the lions, no longer would they be persecuted, but that Christianity would become a state religion. Now, if you had lived then, and your friends and loved ones were being thrown to the lions, you probably would have shouted hallelujah. It looked good. Sounded like a wonderful thing, but the consequence of that was that no longer was the church an outsider, but now an insider. Instead of being shredded by the lions in the arena, the emperor was now building them churches. It was the state religion. It turned from being an outlier to an insider. And that was the kiss of death because gradually over time, in the next two plus centuries, that which was most significant to spreading the gospel, namely signs and wonders, miracles, particularly the casting out of demons, was lost. It no longer was an active part of the life of the church. Do you know why? 
They didn't need it anymore. And as I teach in the school, and this is so critical to foundationally understanding what you all are doing here, picture the first century, just beyond the apostolic age. You're faced with the mightiest empire in the history of the earth. Nobody knew how to marshal military forces more than the Romans. And nobody was more cruel and exacting to the way they carried out what they did. Plus, you were dealing with many centuries of entrenched paganism. How in the world do a handful of people, highly unlikely choices, relatively uneducated except for a few, outsiders most certainly, no power base, turn the world upside down, and within three centuries go from being killed to being in power? Well, the answer was this. I love reading the writings of the church fathers. I'm working my way now through the confessions of Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas as well. Everybody in this room ought to read Augustine, City of God, upon which 90% of all evangelical theology is based, and you don't even know it. Page after page, St. Augustine talks about the opposition of the demonic pagan empire. Almost every page, he talks about demons. Demons! And he's the greatest influence on theology in 2,000 years of history, of Christianity. It's demons, 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 and what the demons did and how they confronted them. How do we get from there to here? Simple. Facing the might of Rome, the demonism of that pagan empire, the only authenticity of your message was not philosophy. The Greeks had that. It was not might. Rome had that. Paul put it very clearly to the Corinthians, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Power. The church lost the power because they didn't need it anymore. No longer was the environment hostile. No longer were the lions eating them. So, they didn't demonstrate that power anymore. They stopped casting out demons and gradually it turned into an institution of power of political might. And let's fast forward that to us today. If in the United States of America you want to establish a successful economically viable megachurch, do you need to demonstrate the power of God by casting out demons? The answer is no. In fact, I would challenge you to find one single successful megachurch in America that believes Christians cast out demons and ever casts out a single demon. You can't name one. And yet, they thrive. They sell millions of books. They have massive television ministries. 
They impugn, attack, mock, ridicule. Everything that I stand for and most of you stand for. What's wrong with this picture? If your goal is to establish an empire, or at least a mini-empire of Christianity in your community through the building of a large church with lots of programs, many goodies to offer, that's a pretty good preaching. You don't need to demonstrate the supernatural. In fact, you don't want to because it'll scare the people away. That's how they think. I know these pastors. I talk to them. Do you understand how converse that is to what you experienced last night, this morning, tonight, and for those of you of hungry generation, experience every week? It's diametrically opposite. It's the antithesis of what you believe and experience. Well, who's right here? And where is this all really going? Where is this headed? This is not my message for the night. This is word from the Lord. I really felt I needed to share this. John called two of his disciples. Luke chapter 7. And he sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now remember, John's in prison. He had baptized Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. For crying out loud, he saw the dove ascend. He heard the voice from heaven. And yet, in his moment of discouragement, depression, and trial, sitting in Herod's prison, he said, go ask him if he really is the one. So the next time you doubt a little bit, you got good company. When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many of the infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Now, just watch this. Here's the scene. John's in prison. He's about to get his head chopped off. He knows he's going to die. He's facing the end. He is the one who announced Christ himself, and yet he has that moment of doubt. And so he says, go find Jesus. Ask him one more time for me. Are you the one? And what was the, owl, the response of Jesus? How did Jesus respond to that doubt? Notice the first thing that Jesus did. He didn't lecture them. You go back and tell John, give me a break. Come on, you were there, John. You saw it, you heard it. Buck up, guy. You know the truth. He cured infirmities and afflictions, and he cast out evil spirits and opened blind eyes. Come on. You getting it? That was his answer. <laughs> that was his answer. He demonstrated who he was. And then... He said, go tell John the things that you've seen and heard. Somebody say amen. amen. 
Go tell John. Go tell John. I cast out demons. And when you tell John I cast out demons and I open blind eyes and I heal sick bodies, John will get the message. Come on. There's the message, friend. That's the message. Tell John what you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised from the dead, the gospel hath the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of this. Ooh. The successful church of America is very much offended by this. Do you know that? They want nothing to do with what you people are all about. They don't want to touch it. I think we know where that attitude comes from, straight out of hell. And you know, I, I confess there are times I feel a little like John. Okay, yes. I'm in the pages of people. I've rubbed shoulders with Oprah and Dr. Phil. I've been on BBC and NBC. And I've had great opportunities that few people have had to get out this message, but there are times when I've grown weary and I've thought to myself, what's going to become of all this, Lord? Really? Where's this going to end up? I'll not be for, here forever. And, and I can't convince everybody of this message all by myself, no matter how much media coverage I get. And then, I hear about this place called Tri-Cities. They want me to come. So I get on the internet and I look up hungry generation. That sounds weird. <laughs> come on. That's not the first church of or Calvary whatever. And, and then I see some videos and this one says, Accursed Things by Pastor Vlad. So I, I click on it. I start watching it. And I wrote him an email about this. And I sat there watching that video and tears are streaming down my cheeks. I said, where did this guy come from? Why didn't I know about him before? And I listened to what he taught and I thought, I've been cloned, I didn't even know it. <laughs> it's like he's Dolly the sheep. That's a cloning joke. I'm thinking, this guy's saying what I'm saying. And sometimes saying it better, and he's all just a few years younger than me. 
And Lord, if you tarry, I'm gone. He's likely to last for a while. You mean, Lord, there are 7,000 who haven't bowed? You mean, Lord, you're really raising up some mighty men of God to carry on this message? Lord. And I felt like John in prison. And there are times I have felt in prison. Imprisoned by the prejudices and the small-mindedness of American evangelical Christianity. Imprisoned by their negativity and doubt. Imprisoned by their lack of faith. Imprisoned by their disgusting rectitude of doing it the right way that's so cool and polished and well marketed that it offends nobody. You do know that the biggest churches of America have a single dictum by which they operate and it is this, don't upset anyone. Keep them happy, keep them coming, make sure you got the Krispy Kremes and lattes in the lobby because that's what counts. And then there's Vlad. There's Vlad. Kicking devil butt and standing up there and saying, get that accursed stuff out of your house. And he names it and he says it. And I'm thinking, wow, I have just seen blind eyes opened. Come on, give this pastor and his wife a hand. Come on, tell him you love and appreciate him. Tell him that. So it is a distinct honor for me to be here and to be part of this. And I want to say one more thing, and these are not niceties to make you like me because I'm saying good things about you. Because if I didn't like you, I would tell you. And my daughter knows it. Embarrass her all the time. I speak my mind anywhere, whatever. Not only do you have that, but I'll tell you, Pastor, the thing that perhaps impresses me the most is not that you have great taste in women. <laughs> she is an amazing addition to you, as my wife is to me, okay? But it's the people around you. This ain't no one-man operation up here. I have been so impressed with the people who come across this stage, how this anointing and the gifting of this body has been dispersed among so many capable, formerly totally screwed up people. Honestly, this is all ad lib. I had intended to say none of this. I was sitting down there and the Lord spoke to me about this scripture and said, I want you to get and do this before you do anything. And I'm watching, and, and man, we have a deliverance, the clip's up there. It's out there live, and it's cool, and everything is sharp, and it's hip. And, you know, my daughter's hip, my wife's hip, my kids are hip. Me? I'm just the exorcist. 
you have so many talented people, so many capability, and you're doing such an incredible job with so little. You have more expertise, more IT capability, and more cool than the churches who are trying to be so cool. You know? Trying to be so cool. I love the music. I love everything you people do here. Keep it straight. Stay on track. Keep honoring the Lord. Don't get so successful. You lose your roots and you forget about what got you where you are. The one thing people can say about me, and I've got a lot of enemies, and I've got a lot of detractors, and there's a lot of people who don't like me, and they so say so, and you can find it everywhere, all over the internet, but there's one thing they can never accuse me of, and that is this, having changed over time and getting more mellow. I'm never getting mellow. You got that? I'm never going to get calm. I'm always going to be on the cutting edge. I'm always going to be fighting the devil. Been fighting the devil all day today. You should have been over there this afternoon screaming and yelling and hollering and banging the walls and kicking. It was glorious, beautiful chaos over there at the church today. Don't lose it. You folks have something here. Keep it, hang on to it, treasure it. It is an earnest zeal for God that is in seldom places of the world seen. Hang on to it. You know, one of the reasons I love going to Ukraine so much, I'll be back there hopefully in a couple of weeks. Every year I teach a thousand students are going out to start churches at the New Generation Bible College. This year the bishop over the 250 churches of Ukraine has invited me to come back. I'm going to spend one week, six days, eight to ten hours a day teaching all 250 pastors in the Ukraine district of the New Generation churches, their wives, their church staff members, how to cast out demons. I love going there because you know what? When I tell people how to cast out demons, they do it and go right out, and it's exactly what I've asked them to do. They say, hey, this works. We're going to do it. I love that enthusiasm. You have a little bit of Ukraine here in America. Don't lose it. You have a little bit of that Slavic, take-no-nonsense kind of mentality. Sorry, you white Caucasian folks out there who are born bred in America, but hey, you know what? These folks are something special. <laughs> Hang on to it. It's great. It's wonderful. I honor you. I respect you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We love you. This has been a highlight of my year. It can't get any better than this. I'm having fun. God bless you. Thank you. Bryn, come up here for a moment, would you please? Come here. Susan, come up here for a moment. Tony, come up for a moment. We've honored these other wonderful folks. I want to honor a couple of you, and then we're going to get on and fight the devil. All right, you ready for that? Last night, I introduced to Idra, and you also met Deborah. But you haven't met these two folks yet. This lady's been involved with our ministry, supporting us and helping us and praying with us and doing whatever she can. Anytime we come to town over in the Bellevue, Seattle area, this is Susan. Say, hi, Susan. 
And she drove over here and has been spending time just loving people and setting people free. She and her daughter and her great husband are just wonderful dear friends of this ministry. And, uh, you know, she's another example that when you get over 50, you don't have to hang it up. Right, sister? No way. All right. And, uh, you know, her and her husband have successful lives. They could just be sitting on the beach playing shuffleboard, doing whatever. Instead, she's out here hanging on to people while Tony's screaming in their face to go to the pit of hell. I appreciate this wonderful lady so much. She's so dear to come over and do all of this. Susan, I want you to give a greeting and say hello to these people. Well, I just so much agree or confer with what Bob said about this church and your leadership and all the people I've met here. It's really been a wonderful experience. I'm so thankful. My husband's family is having a family reunion this weekend, and I was supposed to put on a picnic today for the family. And my husband said, if you want to go over there, you just go. We'll manage without you. And uh, I Sure glad I'm here at this BCNE family reunion. <laughs> Bless you all. Amen. Man, I say being with these people beats a family reunion any day. Tony has been a lifelong friend. He used to travel with me on the road as my uh, personal assistant and set up men and handled everything for about 10 or so years. Uh, this guy has logged hundreds of thousands of miles with me, but finally... You know, I came back to Seattle and said, I got to settle down and keep my business going. And I uh, just appreciate this guy so much. And, you know, he has turned out to be a mighty deliverance minister in his own right and very highly gifted and single. But I didn't say that, Tony. Uh, <laughs> I do that everywhere I go. I still have faith. Tony, say hello to these people. It's really been great here to be with you and experience your life in your church. Uh, it's been our pleasure and honor to minister to your people. Um, I just to keep going after God like you have been, and uh, you've got some great things ahead of you. Thank you so much for having us here. All right, and I, you know, as I travel across the country, I want you to know this ministry is, is about more than me, just like Pastor Vlad. It's about more than him and his wonderful wife. It's about all of you. Don't go anywhere, Bryn. Stay right here, please. Uh, it's about all the people who are part of our ministry all over America. We have these deliverance teams established in scores of cities across the country and around the world. Wherever I go from city to city, I got a great bunch of prayer warriors and intercessors who step right up, work with me. Uh, by God's grace, I've been able to train thousands of people how to do what you've watched me do. And there are some of them really good, and at times they're better than me at it. And these are some of the very special warriors down here. Now, about this lady back here. Did you enjoy her this morning? Give her a hand if you did. Uh, she's come to join with me for the weekend, and she'll be around here again tomorrow morning. But I want to thank you, Bryn. That is a cool T-shirt. Wow. Dad bought that for her last night. <laughs> but thank you for sharing this morning. And, of course, I'm very proud of you as a father and very touched. But i got to say, uh, God has given you a great anointing, and you're going to do great things cutting open those bodies, soaking up the blood with the sponges and sewing those people back together. She's going to be a doctor. I, I, yes, I should tell. If you're new tonight, she's going to become a doctor. <laughs> Sounded more like a serial killer than a doctor. 
But I want you to tell a story that you didn't tell this morning. Okay? We were in London filming for the BBC. And uh, you may not know it, but the BBC is the largest broadcast organization of the world. Not CNN, not Fox News, the BBC. And so for them to cough up big bucks to shoot an hour-long documentary about Bryn and me and her two friends is pretty extraordinary. Not only that, but crews followed us across America, followed us to Russia and Ukraine and, and in other parts and followed us all over London for a week shooting this amazing documentary, which can still be found somewhere on the Internet. But one of the highlights for me in that documentary, if you've never seen it, was at the busiest subway station in London, right by their Olympic Park, where the Olympics were had a few years back. And uh, tell them what happened while we were out there and the Ouija board story. I might need to, does this work? Oh, does it, okay, can you hear me? Okay. Turn it up, turn it up. Okay. Um, so the um, so the BBC asked us. They had printed out all these. Fl Turn it up. <laughs> Hello, you can hear me, right? Okay. Um, so the BBC had printed out all these flyers for our uh, the, one of the churches we were working with there, and we were having meet. We were having a meeting that night, and so we went to this subway stop, and there's just people all over the place walking. I mean, they're walking with a purpose, so it's kind of hard to stop them. You know, they, they've got a destination they're going, but they they gave us these flyers and asked us to hand them out. And um, if you watch the documentary, I look like a total noob. I'm walking around trying to hand out flyers, and Tess and Savannah had no problem. But it was challenging just walking up and asking someone if they'd ever hadn't seen an exorcism before. But um, so they got some funny bloopers. But so we're walking around, we're meeting all these people, we're talking to them, and Dad's there. Did you have your little? Oh yeah, I, yeah, I looked like the real deal. Uh, yes, I had the clerical collar and I had the cross and I had the whole thing to just terrify people. So he looked the part. And um, this group of kids, like maybe 15 years old, a couple guys come up to dad. And they're, they're very curious, but they, they kind of look like the typical goth, you know, the black eyeliner, shaggy hair, um, you know, band t-shirts and everything. And so they're asking him about, you know, what's going on? What are we doing? We heard the word exorcism. Like, well, what is this? And um, one of the guys was named Sam. Or was it Joe? No, it was Joe. And um, dad noticed on his neck that he had a necklace. And it was a pentagram. Now, I don't know if you guys know what a pentagram is, but that's a symbol. It had Baphomet on it, the satanic deity. And um, it's, a, it's a, a symbol of satanic worship. And Satanists use this in their ceremonies. I mean, it's a pretty um, hardcore necklace just to have around your neck. And the dad asked him, do you, do you know what this is? Do you know what you're wearing? And the kid had no idea what he was wearing around his neck. And, um, you know, his dad was talking with him. This kid had never heard the gospel before. I mean, he knew vaguely of a God, but he had never had someone tell him about Jesus. And this was in London. I mean, there's all sorts of media out there. There's websites, there's books, there's pastors, and this kid had never heard the gospel. So dad um, began to share with him, and right there in the middle of the square, he started praying with him. He put the cross on his forehead and everything. Um, a poor kid was probably really freaked out. Um, he was sweet, though, and so Dad said, you should come tonight to the seminar because I'm, I'm, I think you've got a little something there. 
Oh, and so this kid comes and he brings his girlfriend. <laughs> Poor thing. So she had no idea. He didn't tell her. And he just brings her to this seminar. And there's a dad sat him right in the front row, bird's eye view of the entire exorcism. And it was on a pastor. And she was screaming and flailing about. It was really dramatic. And this kid is sitting there and his eyes are about that big. <laughs> and um, so after the seminar, dad talks to him. And he says, I brought you something. And so he goes into his backpack and pulls out this Ouija board. And it was handmade. He had made it in class. It was carved. It was overlaid with glass. It was a beautiful piece of work. Class project. Yeah, class project in school. He had made this Ouija board because he was fascinated. He felt that pull to the supernatural. And so he was trying to, to fill that void with this and communicating with spirits. And, you know, Dad prayed over it. And he said, will you break it? And he thought about it for a minute. He wasn't quite sure. But after seeing what he had just seen, he was easily convinced that, you know, we might want to get rid of this. So we went outside into the curb, and he put it right there and just smashed it right then and there. Right right in. This is interesting. I'm sorry. they got to to get the context. Right in front of one of the busiest bus stops in London in the middle of Muslim town. Everything is Muslim. So all these, these women in burqas and all the halal stands and everything, and they're watching this dude out there busting up a Ouija board. Cool. Yeah, he went crazy on that thing. It was awesome. And, you know, what really stood out to me was at the end, after we'd prayed with him and worked with him, he said, you know, I've never been treated like this before. I've never had people care about me, and I've never had someone take the time to explain Jesus to me and to take the time to show that they cared. And that means a lot. And it really touched me because there, here's this kid who you'd never assume would have a heart for this or, or, or want this, but there he was and he was able to get help. And, you know, we kept in contact with him and, and he's doing so much better. But just the, the impact of seeing God at work that, that's what reached him, is seeing someone up on stage getting a demon cast out. Because before, he wasn't all sure about exorcisms or anything. He just kind of came to see what was going on. But after that exorcism, he saw the truth. And that's what convinced him to break that tie of the Ouija board and to step back from that dangerous line that he was walking with Satan. So that was, that was amazing. That really touched Tessavan Thank and you, I, Bryn. So. Give Bryn a hand, would you? All right, let's get down to business here. Now, look, how many of you, uh, how many of you brought your books, my books with you tonight? Quite a few of you did. All right, Bryn, would you go out there real quickly? Tony, you go out there, run out there quickly. Would you please? Thank you. As fast as you can, I need you to get something ready for me. Look, we need to get our books into your hands. Now, I tell people almost everywhere I go that by the time we buy these books, we have them shipped to our central office in Colorado, and we turn around and ship them to our seminars, essentially, we don't make any money on them uh, because there's just too much involved in the shipping costs. And then uh, what's left over, we have to ship back. So we reduce the price from the regular price down to 15 bucks a piece. Now, we brought four of the books, four of my most recent books with us, and we let you actually have four for 50, which is like practically giving them away less than we have in them. But we get them into your hands. It's really important. And I'm going to walk through some things tonight. 
and tomorrow morning in these books. I want to get these books into your hands, all right? So uh, if we stop this meeting and say, well, go on out at the table and look at those books and hang out, you know, we'll be here till midnight because you'll be forever getting back here. So here's what we're going to do. If you didn't stop by out there, I want to get these books in your hands right now. So it's going to be challenging, but we're going to take about three or four minutes, and this is going to be over with. Here are the books that we have. The critical ones I need to get into your hands are the curse-breaking book. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. How many have it? All right, good. Hope you got it with you. Thank you. Also have a few copies available in Russian. I don't know if we have any left, but you can get it on the website. Also, we're going to be talking about my book, Jezebel, which is also available in Russian, one or two copies left of that. How many of you have the Jezebel book? Good, wonderful. Hope you got it with you tonight because I'm going to teach from it. Now, to be able to teach from these books, you need to have a book. If you don't have it with you, we're going to bring it to you. All right? And then the brand new book, got to have this one. We'll particularly talk about this tomorrow morning, Dealing with Demons. And then to just to throw it in for an amazing value is my daughter's book, The Dark Side of the Supernatural. Got to get this. So here's the deal. These are the books. The curse-breaking book. In just a moment, we're going to bring the book to you or we're going to have to pass it down the aisle to you. This will be painless. It'll be quick. Get ready. If you don't have this book and you'd like to have it, for tonight and tomorrow and forever, you're going to hold up one finger. That's easy. If you'd also like to have the Jezebel book, you're going to hold up two fingers. Got it? If you'd also like to have the Dealing with Demon book, three fingers. If you just want to throw Bryn's book in and get a real bargain for 50 bucks, get all four of them, hold up four fingers. Okay? So what we're going to do is, is uh, give you a chance. Curse-breaking plus Jezebel, plus dealing with demons, plus Bryn's book. That's easy. So you're going to hold up fingers. They're going to do their best to get the books to you. Um, they may have to crawl over the top of you or flip them through the air or pass them down the aisle, however we get them to you. And you're just going to get the book. And then we're going to take those buckets and just pass them, and you're on the honor system, and you just throw the cash in there and pay for them, okay? But you're going to be able to follow along with me. Are you ready for this? This is not hard. This is easy. Curse breaking. Jezebel. Dealing with demons. Bryn's book. Okay, got it? Now, one, two, three, four. You got four fingers ready? Hold up one, two, three, four. Right now, and they're going to get those books to you. So put your hands up right now if you'd like to get the books. Wherever. Who, who hasn't got the books, like get them because we're going to bring them to you. Look up there in the balcony. Anybody? Like to get the books, but you don't have them yet. Right back here. See the gentleman right back here? Go take care of this guy back here. Thank you very much. Anybody up the balcony? I see somebody up there. Okay, they got you. There's the lady over here. If you please take care of her. Anybody else? Got to get this book. At least you need to get that curse-breaking book for right now. And Jezebel, if you can do it. And they're only 15 bucks a piece, okay? Anybody else? Real quick. Like to get the book? We're making it available. There's someone right over here. You spot them out there, okay? For those of you who do, and, and, and gentlemen, uh, Tony, whatever, supervisor, somebody way up there in the back, he's, uh, as soon as this is done, 
And they have the books, Tony. Somebody right over here, Tony. Somebody right here, this gentleman, or somebody right here. Is that two fingers? Oh, you want a credit card? Sure, they have a slip. They'll, they'll hand you and just fill it out and put it in the bucket when it comes by. And if you will see that those buckets go by in a moment, gentlemen, where are the ushers? Can't see you, bright lights. Okay, just make sure they're passed so that we can collect. You're on the honor system. We'll collect the credit cards or collect the books in a moment, okay? So you start, you guys just keep taking care of the folks out there, would you? Those of you with the book. Let's start at the book, Cook's Breaking. I teach from our books. It's just a very effective, simple way to do it. And it implants it in your mind when you see it. So everybody's got the curse breaking book. I want you to get it. And I want you to begin by turning to page 22. All right? Got the curse breaking book. Some of you have it on your iPhone or your Android, whatever. That's great. Pull it up there. Or if you have the book, turn to page 22. I want to start out talking and teaching and curse breaking tonight. And... Uh, Okay, as soon as they're done, pass those baskets and they collect the, the funds for the books. Will you do that? Tony, just make sure it's done because I'm going to start off teaching here and I'll, I'll uh, just depend on you to take care of that. Thank you very much. There's a big heading on page 22 that says, Christ cursed for you. Find that heading if you've got a book. And you'll see why it's so important to be able to follow along in a moment. Christ cursed for you. I want to address an issue that I talked about a little last night. The Bible tells us clearly, I'm reading under that heading, that Jesus Christ was made a curse for us. People who do not like to hear a message such as mine often choose to quote Paul's words. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. They consider Christ's sacrifice on the cross to be the blanket solution to all curses. And they say that everything related to curse breaking is a bunch of bunk. Such people, listen carefully, confuse positional truth with conditional reality. Gentlemen, bound here, he wants a book. What's a curse breaking book? Take care of him, please. Did you get that? Positional truth and conditional reality. The positional truth is this. Jesus Christ was cursed for us, and yes, he bear, bore the curse of sin on the cross. And yes, because of his resurrection victory over death, we ought to be free from every curse. Well, you get that? That's positional truth. But like every promise in the word of God, this one is of no effect until you believe it, receive it, and appropriate it by faith. I'll take what I just read to you from the book and listen. Since most of you have never heard me teach in curse breaking before, I'm just going to deal with the basics for a few minutes. This concept that we are free from curses because Christ died on the cross is positional truth. The conditional reality is that you must believe that and appropriate it by faith. The Bible tells us that it is full of exceedingly great and precious promises. Those are the exact words of the KJV, all right? But all those exceeding great and precious promises mean nothing unless we believe them and act upon them. Somebody say amen. amen. 
All right. So the truth is, Christ was cursed for us on the cross. But if you don't believe it and receive it and act upon it, it doesn't do you any good. Let me illustrate it to you this way. I'm sure that most of you here tonight know that we are saved by the blood of Jesus because he died upon the cross. Amen? Amen. Boy, are you easily suckered. <laughs> Fell for it. There is not a single person in this room who is saved because Jesus shed his blood on the cross and died for sin. Not one. You just figured out that my critics are right. I am a heretic. You are not saved because Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for sin. You're saved because you believe it by faith and receive it into your heart. Somebody say amen now. All right. Got to believe it. Got to receive it. So yes, Jesus broke every curse at the cross, but it means nothing unless you believe it and receive it and act upon it, and that's what generational curse breaking is all about, putting the word of God into action. Come on, come on, give God a hand. Now, turn back a page to page 21. Almost every time I teach on curse breaking for the first time. I always make this point. There is a heading there for those of you who have the book. It's in bold. It says the causeless curse. Let me read this to you. In spite of the inherent power of the words of a curse, the principle of cause and effect prevails. We learn this from the well-known proverb, quote, like the sparrow in her wondering, like the swallow in her flying, so the causeless curse does not alight, close quote. The Living Bible puts it this way, an undeserved curse has no effect. The intended victim of the curse will be no more harmed by an unmerited curse, but by a bird flitting through the sky. Jump down a paragraph to the one that starts with the word Satan looks for a cause. Satan looks for a cause. He'll pin the curse on some current event in the person's life if he can find one, but more often he will find a cause in a previous generation and he'll use that to bring the curse to life, particularly if he can link the long ago cause to a present day action. So I've just pointed out two things to you about curses. Number one, we are all cursed by evil that is described in the Bible like a bird flying above your head wanting to land and make a nest. It's looking for a place to alight. What gives that curse the right to land on you? Because we're all cursed. We're all cursed by original sin. 
And we're all cursed by the curses of Deuteronomy 28 because of the rebellion of our ancestors. So why don't more of us have demons? Because believe it or not, there are actually people in this room, besides me, who don't. Ah, me and Pastor Vlad. And his wife. And Bryn, and Adra, and... (laughs) Never mind. You get the point. Why don't more people have demons? Because we're all cursed, if it's all there. Because, what did I say? It needs a cause. It needs a reason to take that curse and bring it to life. And what is that? I told you. I just read it to you. The ancient curse looks for a present cause, a current condition that it can land on. So, you had ancestors who practiced witchcraft, some of you more than others, depending on the culture and the generational history. And that curse of witchcraft is there, but you're walking with Jesus. And it can't hit you. It can't do anything to you. It can't make you miserable until in a time of desperation, when you're sick, the doctors can't help you and you think Jesus isn't healing you, you pick up the phone and you call the psychic. You knew it was a stupid thing to do. You knew the Bible said you shouldn't do it, but you had to get an answer. How do I know? Because people tell me that all the time. Christian people, I said, that was a really dumb thing to do. I know it, but I was desperate. And I thought maybe the psyche could help me. So you get it? The old cursed connects with the current cause. Or as Bryn points out in her book, you think you're a cool Christian? You can handle those paranormal romance novels. You need to read her chapter on love making to vampires. That's a popular thing, you know. Hey, it's really cool. Oh, he bit my neck. Oh. <laughs> Honey, that's not a hickey. He's a vampire. <laughs> Seriously. So you just mess around with this stuff. You think it's cool to play first person shooter games. You just love wasting ancient kingdoms. Just the littlest thing, and boom, that old curse slams you. Suddenly stuff starts going wrong, and you're like, I don't understand it. Weird things are happening to me. Man, I didn't used to date non-Christians, and suddenly I don't have a problem with it. (laughs) I didn't used to drink that much, Now, hey, man, I like to party every weekend. What happened? The old curse hit something in your life now, and you got slimed by Satan. Okay? That's the way it works. Now, at the back of this book, there's 25 pages of curse-breaking prayers. Everybody should go through this. I get so excited when people schedule a personal session with me, and I sit down with them, and they say, Pastor Bob, I had somebody tell me that day, took my whole family through curse-breaking. Wow, we went through all 25 pages of prayers. And you know what? You do that, but the time you get to me, it's going to be so easy to get those demons out of you because you've done the hard work. Page after page, get it. Take your whole family through it. Don't go make this stuff up on your own. 
Those 25 pages, I spent six months in prayer and study and compilation to get it just right. You're never going to get it that close. On your own, why should you? I did it for you. God inspired me to do it. He gave me the gift to accomplish it. Take advantage of it. Don't just stumble along like, yeah, I'm Jesus, lay me down to sleep. I pray you sold my keep. Okay, here I go. No, 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 no. Do something constructive and proactive. I want to read to you the introductory prayer to the curse breaking. Heavenly Father, I come before you. This is page 145. You want to follow up with me? Good. Heavenly Father, I come before you ask forgiveness for the curses of my ancestors. And those curses are brought in my own life. I beseech you, Lord, on behalf of the ancestors of my father and mother's lineage, going all the way back to Adam and Eve. As I speak and declare each confession, I pray that you would forgive me and my ancestors and put those sins into the blood of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I pray you would break curses on both sides of the family. And then it goes on from there. We call it basic curse breaking. Some of you have never done it. We did a little bit of it last night. Do it, do it, do it. I talk about word curses in here. I talk about the curse of illegitimacy. I heard an amazing statistic yesterday. This. You want, you want to get depressed? Okay. How many of you know there's a curse called the curse of the bastard? Bastard's not a bad word. It's a legal term for an illegitimate conception. We use it in a pejorative sense to speak ill of someone, but it's a legal term. All right? And in Deuteronomy 23, there's an incredibly powerful curse that comes against those who are of illegal conception, which means you are the product of rape, incest, adultery, or fornication. And if you were, you weren't intended. You were an accident. Not to God, but in a spiritual sense, you weren't planned by love. So, you're cursed. And I'll tell you how you know you're cursed. The Bible, uh, my book explains this. I have a huge prayer to break the curse of illegitimacy. We won't go through that tonight, but get the book and pray it. You will have trouble reading your Bible. You will constantly feel rejected, particularly rejected by God, no matter how much Christian fellowship, how much you go to church. You'll fall asleep reading your Bible. You'll have difficulty praying. When they have praise and worship, you'll You'll not feel comfortable entering into it because the curse says that forever the progeny of a bastard is forbidden to enter the presence of God. Now, that's Old Testament law. Under grace, you can. But you still feel the effect of the Old Testament curse. So it's a curse that needs to be broken. The statistic is astounding. Right now in America, we passed the tipping point of 50% plus of all children born are illegitimate. In the inner city, in the African-American community, it is over 90%. In the Hispanic community, it's over 70%. These are not racist comments. This is truth. The home, the family, the morality of America is down the toilet. Our own president is illegitimate. 
don't even know who his father was. Forget about the guy in Kenya. He ain't it. And that's from the top down we're rotting in this area. So look, it wasn't your fault. But you need to get with another Christian and go through that book and break that curse. Just get rid of it. It's simple to do. But that's just one thing I want to point out to you that is so commonly accepted in our culture. You know, one of the things that I do, in addition to our public exorcisms and our personal one-on-one -on -one sessions with people, is Skype. I Skype almost all day long every day when I'm home at the office. Sometimes I Skype six, seven, eight hours a day with people all over the world and cast out demons over Skype. You want a Skype appointment? Contact my office. We can get your demons right there on the internet looking at me on FaceTime or on your computer. But when I Skype with people, it's just really interesting to see the ethic in other parts of the world. I was working with a guy last week. Halfway around the world. He's a born-again Christian. He loves Jesus. He wants to get free. And he's just casually talking about his partner. Not male, female. And this woman he's been living with for more than 10 years. And he didn't have the slightest sense of shame because he happens to come from a culture not too hard to figure it out. It's either Scandinavia, Australia, New Zealand. They're the people who are ahead of this thing along with the Western Europeans. Nobody gets married in these cultures anymore. Why should they? The Christian ethic is out the window. And he is talking about, and I'm trying to get rid of his demons, and he's talking about this 10-year live-in sexual relationship he's had. He doesn't have a clue why he's full of demons. So let me just say something to you young people. Keep your pants zipped and get married. Do it right. Got a lot of you. They're all kind. I deal with the curse of cremation. If Uncle Ernie is in an urn on the fireplace, throw out Uncle Ernie. If Aunt Emma is in a box in the closet, throw out Aunt Emma. Barrier. Dig a hole, pour the ashes in. I had a Christian man come to me, and he, he said, I want you to meet, meet me at my office. I want to do a session with you. And he said, everything's going wrong. I'm losing everything. I love Lord. I tithe. I try to do everything right. And I walk in his office, and I start talking with him, and he starts crying. I said, why are you crying? And he opens his desk drawer and he takes out a little box and sets it on his desk. It's my daughter. You got your dead daughter in your desk and you wonder why everything in life is going down the tubes? It's a curse. Read the Old Testament. I, I go into it in the book. A corpse has a curse. Come on, why do we get this? I'm going to post on YouTube soon what happened when I was in Ukraine in April. 
So picture this. There's about a thousand of these hardcore Ukrainian and Slavic students on fire for Jesus, ready to go out and take on the world for Jesus. And, and I did a Q&A, and I went out in the audience, and the one guy said, what do you think about my tattoo? I said, show me. And he showed me, and there's this ugly spider on his shoulder. I said, um, I'm just curious. How many of you God-fearing, Holy Ghost-filled, tongue-speaking, fired up for Jesus, going out to start a church, young people, have a hideous tattoo somewhere? About 90% of the hands go up. I said, I want to see your tattoos. I said, ladies, not you, the guys, but you got a stamp trap on your back. Get rid of it. Get it lasered. Put a Band-Aid on it. Don't scrape it, but don't show it. And the next thing I know, I start praying, and all hell broke loose. And we're going to post this, one of the most violent exorcisms I've ever seen. Now, I know some of you did these stupid things before you became a Christian. So I have some advice for you. Don't be dumb-dumb again. You did it in ignorance. Okay. Okay. One guy's got a swastika on his leg. The other guy's got a dragon on his arm. The other guy's got a coiled serpent coming all the way up his arm and across his chest. Oh, you should, we, we're going to show this on YouTube. You should see some of this stuff. Of course, that's the Ukrainians. You guys don't do dumb stuff like that, I know. But in case you did, some night when you were drunk or high in weed, let me give you some advice. Pray over it. Anoint it. Cancel its effect in the name of Jesus. You may not be able to afford to get it lasered, but at least cancel the power of that thing over your life and confess it for the sin that it was. And the rest of you who don't have something stupid like that on your body, don't go do it. Number one, you will open a portal to demons. Number two, if it's very visible, you're going to have a lousy chance of ever getting a good paying job somewhere unless you love fit flipping hamburgers for the rest of your life. And number three, when it says love Mary and you're making love to your wife Susie someday and she sees that, you're in trouble. Because in case you haven't figured it out yet, you see it everything, you know, you're naked like, oh, I didn't know you had that. Great wedding night that's going to be. Come on, come on, can we get real? Can we get real? Come on. Curses. But let's talk for a moment, because I'm on a roll, you've got to shut me up or I'll be here all night. Jezebel. If you're starting to feel a little tightness in your stomach, a little nervous at my just holding this book, it's going to get worse. <laughs> this is the number one demon that I deal with. I have people say, Pastor Bob, I watch those hundreds 
of exorcisms you have on YouTube. And if you haven't done it, by the way, go to YouTube, type in Bob Larson Exorcism Channel, it's all there. I have a lot of people say, I watched everyone. I stayed up for days watching you on YouTube, all the exorcisms. And, and I have one question. I get this question all the time. Why does Jezebel keep coming back? You get rid of her and she's back. Half of the exorcisms are Jezebel. Why is it always Jezebel? Why can't you get rid of her once and for all? That's because there's a whole bunch of Jezebels. And the reason, and I talk about this in the book, is this, this is the spirit of the times. Control, manipulation, murder, witchcraft, and sex. Now let's just pick the last two because those are the two main characteristics, witchcraft and sex. Well, what is our world all about today? I don't know, sex, the occult, new age, just pretty much sums it up, right? Jezebel, Jezebel, Jezebel. But, and this is crucial, if you've ever heard me talk of this before, I guarantee you, you've heard me discuss this. Because every single time I talk in this, I know there's somebody who hasn't heard it and got to get it. Turn to page 27. I talk about the many forms of Jezebel. We having fun? Want me to keep going? Like me to shut up? If you said yes, you got Jezebel. The many forms of Jezebel. So this is the first thing I want you to know. Before there was Jezebel, there was Jezebel. Before there was Jezebel, there was Jezebel. So you can read in First and Second Kings all about Jezebel, particularly First Kings 16 and 17. Those are the signal scriptures about this ancient woman in 800 B.C. who was so evil. The queen of Israel, put on the throne by Ahab, who brought with her 850 of her false prophets, tried to kill all the prophets of Israel and established this licentious, orgiastic, Pagan religion in Israel that practices human sacrifice and temple prostitution. That's Jezebel. But before 800 BC, when she came on the scene and became the prototype by which we apply that name, Jezebel, there were lots of Jezebels, and I list them here. Page 27, I have a whole paragraph on Ishtar of the Babylonians. Ancient God, goddess, Jezebel, same characteristic, same demon, same MO, just different name, turn the page. A knot of the Canaanites, Ashtoreth of the Syrians and Phoenicians, and Diana of the Romans and Artemis of the Greek, Jezebel, 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 same demon. So in Acts 19, when Paul preached and there was a revival, And the artisans of Diana became all upset and tried to kill him and there was a big riot. He was preaching against Jezebel, except Jezebel was called great as Diana of the Ephesians. Same demon. Next page, 29. Aphrodite and Venus. And under that, Isis or Isis of the Egyptians. 
Are you saying, Pastor Bob, that in 3000 B.C., 2,000 years before Jezebel was on the throne of Israel, there was a Jezebel? Oh, it goes back further than that. Turn page 30. Kaliya the Hindus and Lilith of occult Judaism. Lilith, who I not too affectionately call Jezebel on steroids. There's Jezebel and then there's Lilith. There are a whole bunch of Jezebel demons here tonight. Now, to say that you have a Jezebel spirit doesn't mean that you're a slutty seductress as we think of Jezebel. In fact, you could be one of the most spiritual people in this room, and you could be male. You inherited Jezebel. Your mother or grandmother might have been a Jezebel. So how would I know that? Anybody in your family been molested or raped or incested? Jezebel. Really? Yeah. Only about a 95% chance. You think I got it too? Yeah. Really? You doubt me? I'm the real exorcist. I deal with this stuff all the time. Yes, Jezebel. Jezebel, Jezebel. How would I know if I had Jezebel, Pastor Bob? Hmm. A bit controlling. Mama was a bit controlling. Struggle with your sexual identity and impulses, no matter what you try to do. You've been molested? Jezebel. Jezebel set you up. You were a victim. I'm sorry. Doesn't seem fair that you got Jezebel, but the person who molested you, that pervert, had Jezebel, and through the exploitation and abuse of you formed at least momentarily, a soul connection to pass that demon on to you. So you not only have to live with the painful memories of having been sexual violated, you have Jezebel making it worse. But hey, we can get rid of it tonight. You can go home Jezebel free. What a deal. Isn't that great? Now, this book talks about all the different aspects of what Jezebel does. But I have a chapter in here which you'll need to read. I applaud my publisher for the courage of allowing me to include this chapter on incubus and spiritual husbands and spiritual wives and succubus. Not a day goes by in my life when there isn't some man or woman, and usually a woman, sits down and looks at me and says, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, I've never told anybody, I'm not sure they would believe me, and I couldn't handle it if I did tell them, but I've had sex with demons, or I've had demons try to have sex with me. This 
evil is rampant in our culture. Mega millions of people, particularly women, have been victimized by it. And if you haven't been raped by a demon, you've been touched by a demon, or you've experienced sleep paralysis, or you've been in a waking or about to go to sleep state, you felt a breath, a touch of someone, or the presence of evil being there. You're not losing your mind. You're not a weirdo. You're not a pervert. And you maybe had nothing to do with it. It could have been an ancestor. These curses could go back thousands of years. And you say, my God, am I losing my mind? No, you're not. Well, who am I going to tell? You can tell the people who have been trained by me and who are part of this ministry. They deal with it all the time. They understand it. And they'll not shame you. Don't tell your shrink. He's going to want to medicate you or lock you up. This is real, folks. This is Jezebel. It ain't pretty. But we've got to get real. I talk in here about the signs of the Jezebel spirit. Hating men. Using women. Some of you grew up in a home. Your mom's been married five times, Jezebel. Did you see the cool Russian language exorcism in Ukraine we just posted this week? You should have seen it. This woman's working on her fifth husband. Fifth husband. She had a spirit of Jezebel and she had a spirit of Lilith. And guess what she named her daughter? Venus, Jezebel, she didn't know it, didn't have a clue. We prayed, we broke that curse of our daughter. She now has a great Ukrainian Christian husband and finally her life is on track, but boy the garbage. And if you see that thing on YouTube, you see how hideous Jezebel is. Jezebel's favorite words when I confront her in exorcisms is to look at me and say, you again. Yeah, Jezebel, me again. Tomorrow morning we'll talk a little bit about my book, Dealing with Demons, and there's so much more I'd like to say, but I've never been here before. This is my first chance in the Tri-Cities to take on Jezebel. Can't wait. I despise this demon because I know how much hurt this demon has caused you. I know the shame, the self-condemnation, the guilt, and the torment many of you have lived under. I know you've carried dark secrets of the soul. I know that most of you who have been molested never told anybody or very few people. I know that most of you who have been attacked sexually by this evil demon have never felt comfortable letting anybody know about it because you were just afraid they would think you were a pervert of some kind. 
I know the hell you've lived in because I've stared into your eyes. I've seen it many times as have my dear friends down here. Tonight's the night. We're going to make Jezebel pay. For everything Jezebel has done to you. You're going to pay Jezebel. That's not to suggest that you have this demon because you have sexual issues. Because just as important is the role of Jezebel in witchcraft, the new age, and the occult. And just as important is the role of Jezebel in violence, hate, anger, and murder. Remember, she murdered the prophets of God and only a hundred were saved. This is not an indictment. This is not a blanket disapproval of anybody here tonight. This is a time for confrontation with the spirit of Jezebel. So all I need you to do right now is just think about the hurt and the pain in your life that this demon has caused you. The shame, the suffering, the misery. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Hungry Generation. Stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat by using at HungryGen. Stay blessed, and we'll see you next week.